Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the Add Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review of our show. Subscribe on YouTube. Most importantly, help us spread the word about the great stories being shared on our show. Our guest today is Nick Santanastasso. Nick is a medical miracle. Not only is he one of four people with the rare genetic condition, Hanhart syndrome, the inspirational keynote speaker is an internationally known bodybuilder and fitness model, despite missing both his legs and one arm since birth. Nick did the unthinkable when he became a varsity wrestler in high school. At the same time, he rose to vine stardom, sharing his life and thoughts on acceptance, positivity, and pushing your limits with millions gaining the admiration of A-list celebrities, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Tony Robbins, and Ed Milet. A powerful keynote speaker, Nick's passion for helping others shines through as he takes his message to schools, universities, and Fortune 500s. Nick Santanastasso and Robert talk about mindset, taking responsibility for your life and thoughts. We discuss relationships and how important it is to treat people at the highest level by giving. The relational capital created as a giver is so much more valuable than money. But when you take care of people, the money comes too. We also talked about the inspiration of living at your highest potential. Hey, Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. I am just so excited to have this conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm loving the little gizmo on the shelf behind you. That's pretty. Or is that Yoda? It's baby Yoda. Yeah. He looks like gizmo. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. So just looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this, this, the story behind baby Yoda is not only am I short, um, but I got a lot of wisdom and I asked great questions because what I've realized about great leaders is they don't give answers. They just ask people great questions so they can accumulate their own um answers today. So that's what we're going to do here in this interview is uh, dive deep into psychology, but more importantly, ask your people the right questions so they can find their own answers. Man, I, I love that. I was just, uh, I, I was just showing my dad a video and uh, turned out to be a video. First of all, you have one of you doing a, a, you know, clean, cleaning 315 pounds. So that was, that was awesome. But really the, the video of you going down the field, flipping the tractor tire, mm. like, that's that's pretty impressive and then of course driving a car um i i would have never guessed like you could drive a car um you and i met in an event that the green room had stairs and <laughs> i could see the event host just go white with oh we we we've got stairs and he's in a wheelchair and you were like dude no way man i'm going up and down those stairs and so i love your spirit and your attitude and and obviously that's gotten you far when when did you make a transition in your life to just own who you are? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, see, so for, for those that are listening, right, is like me being born with no legs, one arm. One of the greatest decisions that my parents made at an early age was um, they, they didn't make things easy for me. Um, and so, for example, you know, my, my mom, she wrote a book about how they raised me. And the title is what's most profound for me. And the title is 
how we raise an adaptive child in a handicapped world. And why that's so powerful is because you can have all your limbs and still be handicapped by, uh, by your upbringing. The truth is most of the entrepreneurs that I work with were handicapped by their upbringing, but they just weren't aware of it, right? And so, for example, it's like my parents put my clothes in front of me and were like, okay, figure it out. And they give me verbal suggestions. And I get so pissed off because I was like, didn't know how to put my shirt on or my clothes on. Clearly, I figured out how to put my clothes on because, you know, I got clothes on here today in this interview. Um, but the same thing with my food. And my dad told me, you know, I got the opportunity to interview my parents later on as an adult. And my dad said, Nick, if I would have put stepping stools and little loopholes on all the doors, he said, I would have made the environment at home easy. But when you went out into the real world, you could have, you would have got smacked in the face. Right. And so there was two really important things that my parents helped me help wire my brain at an early age. And I wasn't aware of it. The first one was that I was OK with failure. It wasn't negative towards me. You know, my parents pushed me and promoted failure because they knew on the other side of failure, massive growth was, growth was going to take place. But oftentimes, how many times have you heard your parents say, well, what's your plan A? What's your plan B? What's your plan C? Well, well don't go that way, honey. You're going to get hurt or don't go that way. And then we get conditioned to, oh, I don't, I don't want anything to do with failure. I'm trying to keep my winning streak here. I'm trying to be perfect. I'm never trying to lose. I'm never trying to scrape a knee if you got a knee. I'm just trying to be as perfect as I can. And that's such BS because as you and I both know it, in your entrepreneurial journey, the entrepreneur who's going to fail faster is going to win faster. Bottom line, right? Because oftentimes, then you get conditioned into this, I'm a perfectionist, right? And, per, and perfection, if you're a perfectionist, it's the lowest standard you can have because you can never achieve it. But if you got Robert over here, who's waiting for the perfect time, and you got Nick over here, is like, I'm going to eat shit and I'm going to fail really fast, right? I'm going to learn more. I'm going to cultivate. I'm going to survey. I'm going to gather more data while Robert's still waiting for the perfect time. There's a lot of people waiting. Yeah, there is a lot of people waiting. And, and that's the thing is I, I tell people the perfect time to work on your health was yesterday. The perfect time to work on your business or start that webinar to roll that new product out was yesterday, right? You're only, you're only handicapped and limiting yourself. And so, right. So the first thing my parents did, I, I, I developed an amazing relationship with failure. The second thing that I developed is rejection was part of the game, right? Like oftentimes we take rejection too personal. When in reality, if we look, just looked as rejection as a, 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 a teacher and for me to gather data, I'd be way further ahead. And so the bottom line is, especially as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, in the beginning, true or false, you're going to be the guy who's selling your product. You ain't going to have a sales team. A lot of the times it's you shaking hands and saying, hey, Robert, look at my product. And some people are going to deny you. Don't take it personal. Take it as, okay, wow, how can I survey and collect data so I can see what's right or what's wrong and how I could do better? So those are the two massively important things. And that's that's where I think I got most of my conditioning was my upbringing, right? Um, but for those of you that are listening right now and saying, well, I wasn't raised that way or I didn't have challenges, that's okay. Um, how can you How can you start leaning into rejection now in your business? How can you start leaning into failure now in your business? How can you start surveying and collecting data from your customers so they can give you exactly what you need? That's what I would say. Yeah, I was always taught that uh, our best sales lesson I ever learned was that yes lives in the land of no. So if you can't handle finding no's, you're never going to find the yes. There's no way to get to yes without going through no's. I agree. And, and through those no's, right, is like 
through the noses you become you become the person that you need to be in order to be successful right and so i was just talking about this with a client before this call and i said he was like yeah my last startup was a failure and i said well if you're a failure then elon musk really sucks <laughs> you know like he must be a really massive failure right um i think we're again we we're talking about you know scaling our business and i think this the study was like Amazon, when they when they were scaling their business, they were in the red for like 12 years. Now they're not in the red. That's right. right. But no one saw the 12 years of being in the red of them surveying and scaling. Right. So so that's the thing is like. You're not you're not a failure. You're only a failure if you don't collect data and learn from it. Then you're a failure. Then I'll, I'll be like, yeah, you suck. You're a failure. But if you take the fail and you say, what can I learn? What can I gather from it? Then you just turn that failure into a win. You're always winning. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. I, I appreciate like, you know, the fact that your parents incredibly wise choices to, to, to let you learn and, and figure it out um, and, and, and be okay with it. That had to be incredibly challenging <laughs> for them. Yeah. Right? I could think of a mother's instinct, just, just wanting to, to just help wanting to, uh, you know, that, that had to be pretty frustrating. And yet on the backside, the reward is incredibly gratifying, right? Because you've been able to do, you're doing things that people with two arms and two legs aren't even trying. And, and yeah. so that, that's the incredible pieces, you know, you're driving a car, you're, you're, I can't even imagine. So my wife works for the DMV. So I started thinking about, wow, I want to see the day he showed up for the driving test yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that testing agent walked out the door and went, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that had to be pretty incredible yeah i actually it was funny because i did my i did my um driver's test um i think i think i say regular people but i think everyone with their limbs they have to do like um three hours or or something driving and i had to do like six and i and then actually they put me in this big van that i had to drive i had to do parallel park in a big van like a conversion van and they had all these adaptions and um, the the DMV driver specifically worked with people like me. So he wasn't very scared. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I did. I did my test and I passed it with flying colors. Um, but that that's what I'm saying is like even from my upbringing, let, let me back up here is like the, the principles that we're going to talk about in this interview, like whether you're you're broke and on your way to rich or whether you're whether you're already established that like the same fundamental principles that you acquire when you're broke are the same ones that get you to wealth and sustain the wealth right so it's like even now that i had two seven figure companies and i'm successful it's like i'm still pushing myself to fail i'm still pushing myself to survey my people i'm still pushing myself to experience rejection to humble myself so i can go and learn and level up right so i'm never too comfortable so like i want people to know that that when we're listening the same fundamental principles that Nick used when he was three and four and five, I use now that make me millions of dollars. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Thanks. And, and, and so powerful because it, that's, it really is that basic. We overcomplicate it, right? I think, I think complication is the enemy of, of progress. I agree. Right. <clears throat> so let's talk about um, being able to be yourself, right? Obviously you, mm -hmm. you're, you've developed a great deal of confidence and, and, and your parents equipped you for figuring it out, but there is still a, 
a Nick that goes out in the world and, and obviously nobody's ever seen anybody like you hardly, right? There's, there's what, 10, 11 people that have survived the condition that you have to the state that you have, have survived it. Um, and so it, it's pretty rare. So let's talk about the confidence that you've had to, to be, to be authentically you. Yeah. I love, I love this. So what, we, what we need to realize, right. Is like the, the, the Nick that you see now wasn't the Nick six months ago. Wasn't the Nick a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Right. It's like where the training never stops and we're constantly building this person. Now, a man with no legs, one arm, especially a kid, confidence and self-worth didn't come naturally to me. And I'm going to go in a bunch of rabbit holes in confidence, by the way, there's going to be a bunch of rabbit holes. Um, and so the, the first thing is, is that your confidence and your self-worth is the foundation to your success. And maybe when I spoke, I talked about this when you saw me live is um, confidence and self-worth actually is very simple. And it comes down to doing the shit that you say you're going to do. But a lot of the times y'all don't do the shit that you say you're going to do. And so when you break one promise, it's easy to break another promise and another promise and another promise. And <clears throat> that's where people go into their downward spiral. It's because, for example, you're you're on a you're on a diet or a lifestyle change and you eat one Oreo. You're like, well, I already ate one Oreo. I might as well eat the whole sleeve. And we've all done it. I do it. Right. <laughs> and so and so what we really need to do is we need to make these promises and we need to follow through on them. But not only follow through on them, you need to celebrate and experience the emotion of winning because most of you entrepreneurs, you win and you're on to the next thing and you rob yourself of the win, right? So it's easy to feel like a loser when you don't keep score. And I can tell most of you aren't keeping score. You're just on to the next thing. How dare you, right? So it's like celebrate the win and experience the emotion of winning, but also that when you do the shit that you say you're going to do, even when you don't want to do it, you then develop the muscle of doing things when even when they're hard, you know, and, and by the way, it, it's so cliche or mainstream, but like it doesn't matter about what you do in the days where you feel good. It's about what you do in the days where you don't want to do it. That's where you that's where you acquire character. That's where you build character. You build grit. You build self-integrity. Now, where confidence and self-worth comes down to or it comes into in your business is. I always say you'll never make more than you think you're worth, right? So if the CEO or the leader of the organization doesn't have much confidence, people are going to feel that when he's leading or attempting to lead. He's probably not going to lead very well, but he's going to attempt to lead. People are going to feel your uncertainty and your lack of confidence when you're talking about your product. They're not going to want to invest in it, right? And so I have built confidence and self-worth by doing things that I say I'm going to do. When I was young, I told myself I was going to amputate my arm so I could become a wrestler. I did it. I told, I told myself that I was going to become a bodybuilder, even though I didn't have no legs. I did it. I followed through. Right. So my track record is a bunch of things that I was going to do that I did. I followed through on them. Right. Um, now, also where confidence and self-worth comes into play is a lot of you are surrounded by people who shit on your goals and they shit on your ambitions and visions. And so you don't you, you, you lower your confidence in your self-worth because you're surrounded by closed-minded individuals, right? That's why Robert and I, we always pay to get in the right room because we want to get in rooms where people think like us, they work like us, and more importantly, when we share our goals and ambitions and visions, they don't laugh. They go, let's ride. Oh, you want Robert, you want to do that in a year? How can we do it in six months, right? And so that feeds into your confidence in your self-worth and your certainty. Now, another reason why we struggle with confidence and self-worth is because you're basing your current experience based on your old experiences, 
right? For example, I, before this call, I was working with my one-on-one -on -one client and he's raising money for a product or a software that he's going to create. And he's about to hire an engineer. And he's like, Nick, I get these weird feelings because four years ago, I tried to hire an engineer and it didn't go the way that I wanted to go. And I told him, I said, good, good. It didn't go the way that you wanted to go because you tried to hire an engineer four years ago and it didn't go the way you wanted to go. Now you see what you should look after. Now you see the red flag. So when you're hiring an engineer, you got little antennas that are sticking up and saying, oh, I want to work with this or oh, I don't want that. And so was it a failure? Was it a blessing to prepare you for this very moment? But we give the meaning. So we misdiagnose ourselves because we go out and we want a specific result. And then when we don't get the specific result, we then develop beliefs about who we are and what we're capable of. So the real challenge is, will I be persistent enough to get a new experience or get my first yes? So then I have a new belief about who I am and what I'm, what I'm capable of doing. So all this comes down to self-worth and confidence. And the only way that you're going to build confidence and self-worth is doing the shit that you say you're going to do, is talking nicely to yourself, because I bet you the majority of you that are listening to this podcast right now would not date the person that lives inside your head. Oh. <laughs> now, don't let that go over your head. You wouldn't date the person that lives inside your head. And would you talk to your little girl the way that you talk to yourself? Mm. Would you talk to your wife the way that you talk to yourself? I hope not. Why, why are you talking to yourself like that? So here, all I'm doing is making you aware of patterns that are holding you back so you can strip power away from them. That's my long-winded answer on confidence and, and uh, self-worth. Man, I love it. That, I mean, it's just so powerful, right? And obviously the self-talk. But you mentioned in there, you know, talking about the days you don't feel like it, right? The, the days you, you don't want to take action because you're afraid or because you feel shitty because – and. The really the only way to turn that is to take action <laughs> and that's the that's the crappy cycle so many people get get stuck in is well i feel like crap i'm not going to take very good action i i'm afraid or the fear is is holding me back from making a call or from from you know stepping into my future self and and it really requires you to step into it to change it yeah, absolutely. I mean, fear, right? We can talk about fear is like fear doesn't go away. You just learn to leverage it. You just learn to dance with it. Right. Um, and often and as well, people, you need to understand that like anxiety and excitement release the same chemical in the brain. You just give the meaning to it. Right. So a lot of you, it's easier for you to say, oh, I'm full of anxiety. How about, oh, I'm excited. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anxious. I'm excited because I'm about to level up. This is about this call. I'm anxious about it or I'm excited about it because I know it's about to make me into a better person, whatever it may be. So understanding that, I mean, this is the foundation too, is that your success as an entrepreneur is directly correlated to how much shit you can eat or how much chaos you can withstand. <laughs> and if you want to withstand chaos, you need to be, to be able to manage your emotions, your emotional state, right? So when we feel crappy, we're focusing on what we don't have. We're focusing on what we lack and we're focusing on the things that we can, can't control. That's when we feel bad, right? So understanding that when you're feeling shitty or you're feeling emotions that you don't want to feel, ask yourself, what am I focusing on that is self-inducing these emotions because you're self-inducing it, right? It's like that saying, have you ever made um, a, a molehill out of an anthill, <laughs> right? Have you ever had a small teeny weeny problem and you focus all your energy on it and it became massive? You have, because what I focus on, I feel what I feel is my life, right? 
Now take a man with no legs and one arm. If I woke up every single day and focus on what I lacked, I'd have a very shitty life. <laughs> I wouldn't take any action, true or false. True. Right? I wouldn't take any action. But instead, I've trained my brain to focus on what's right, to focus on what I can control, to focus on what I have. And because I focus on the things that I have and what I can control, I feel good. And when I feel good, I take better action. When I take better action, I'll get better results. So all of your anxiety, all of your stress, all of your anger, all of your sadness, all of your insecurities is self-induced by what you're focusing on. So are you in control of your focus? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. I can control that. So I want the entrepreneurs and those that are listening to note, let me control my controllables. Hmm. Let me That's control the bottom line. Control, right? Let me control what I can control. Um, and then the other thing that I would I would state as well is that fear is just an indicator. It's just a signal that you're doing something that you're not used to doing. And you have a decision to make. When fear comes up, I either crumble or I step up. Now, do you want to be known as the guy who crumbles or the guy or girl who steps up? I want to be known as a guy. I don't even got legs, but I'm stepping up every single day. Come on now. Right. So <laughs> right. Known, if, if, if Nick can step up, the rest of us better be able to do it. That's our excuse. We can all step up. Right. And so fear is an indicator that growth is about to happen. And also, what if every single time that an obstacle or problem came up, that was your sign of you were moving in the right direction? Because, hmm. by the way, if you don't have any problems, you better drop down to your knees and start praying. Because Problems are an indicator that you're moving in the right direction. And problems are a sign of growth. You think Elon Musk has no problems? <laughs> Elon Musk gets paid what he gets paid because he has trained his brain to solve problems. He, he has rockets blowing up on launch pads and he's excited about it where the rest of the world's going, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> he embraces the chaos. He embraces the problems, right? And so... And even when a problem comes up, are you focused on the problem or you focus on the solution? A lot of you just focus on the problem. You make it massive and then you handicap and cripple yourself. Right, but because you, where your focus goes, your energy flows and your energy is flowing towards the anxiety instead of towards the possible solution that's, that's right within your grasp if you raised your frequency just a touch. Agreed, right? And that also comes down to like, what are the questions that are we asking ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I told you when we were live inside the, the power room, right? I was like, your brain is a problem-solving mechanism, and it's always going to give you an answer to the questions that you ask it. The truth is most of you ask shitty questions, so you get shitty answers, right? So instead of like, why can't I scale? How can I scale? Who can I model that I can scale from? What's right in my business? Right. I just told my client before this, I was like, at, at every day, at the end of the day, I want you to write what's right. Because your brain is designed to go to what's wrong. What do I don't have? Why am I a failure? And your brain's going to give you all the answers, all even if they're right or wrong. So even as a leader and as an entrepreneur, your ability to train yourself to ask great questions, you'll make millions of dollars. You'll, you'll, you'll grow, you'll scale by the questions that you ask yourself and your people. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I think that practice, right. Being able to ask the right questions and, and especially when you end the day, right. I love to ask a question right before I go to bed so that my mind spends that night, you know, pondering it and thinking about it. And of course, keep a notebook next to your bed. Cause at some point 
the answer is going to come. And, and if you're like me, you'll say, Oh yeah, I'll remember that in the morning. And then of course, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, Oh, I solved the world's problems and made a million dollars. And I can't remember what the heck it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So write those, write those down. But how, how, what are some other practices to ask better questions? Yeah. So I would say, I would say one of the biggest things, because by the way, all the things that I'm teaching is a skill called pattern recognition. I'm just making you aware of patterns that are holding you back. So you have patterns that when you have patterns of asking bad questions that make you feel bad, you have patterns of focus that make you feel bad, right? So I would say is start becoming aware of the questions that you're asking. Because all, listen to me, all your, all your thinking, all your brain is doing 24-7 is asking questions. And I want you to note my questions dictate my focus. So for example, you wake up, the first question you ask, should I hit snooze? <laughs> right? Should I eat the cake? Should I go to the gym? Should I not? Should I write out my list of goals? Should I not? Should I get on that call or not? Do you? All they are is questions. And what if I were to tell you that every single one of you listening here has a primary question that you're asking yourself, and that primary question may not serve you. Mm. You may have gotten it from your childhood. I've had a few clients when they identified their primary question. One of them is, how do I protect myself? So you tell me, if you go into, if I was going to negotiate with Robert, and I was going to sell him on something. But the question that I was always asking is, how can I protect myself? I'm going to hold back. I'm not going to share all my marbles because I want, I want to protect myself. Or I have entrepreneurs who 50 times a day, they're asking themselves, what did I do wrong? And when you ask that question 50 times a day, you're always going to get answering all the shit that you did wrong. <laughs> right? So all of you have a primary question. All I want the listeners to do is become a little bit more aware of the voice inside your head, especially the bitch voice that's talking you out of all the things that you should be doing. <laughs> Right. And understanding where is that coming from? Why am I thinking like that? Where did that who taught me that? Because as well, the majority of the thoughts that are in your head aren't yours. You pick them up along the way. Your mom for 15, 20 years of your indoctrination of being a, a kid would say, be safe. Protect yourself. Don't do that. Don't do this. I mean, for me. Which, by the way, all of your, all of your, most of your beliefs were cultivated between zero and seven years old. You were very suggestible. Your brain was in theta state. So, for example, between zero and seven years old, if you had a mom who was overprotective or a dad who was overprotective, you may ask yourself the question of how can I protect myself over and over again. And because you ask yourself, how can I protect myself? You may not get into that business relationship. You may not hire out a team. You may not delegate because you're always trying to protect yourself. You see how that messes us up? So all I want the listeners to do is just become very aware of what are the questions I'm asking myself. That's what I'd say some of the, some of the things that they can do. And then also, by the way, I'll give this. I just came back from a mastermind event. Um, and they, they were talking about this process of, I was listening to a guy that makes 240 million a year, right? Pretty good. Way better than me. That's why not, I'm in the room. Not bad. I'm learning from people who have way more money than me, right? And he was like, my whole, my whole goal as I build my companies is to fire myself and hire. I was like, wow, that's really good. Because all of us are wearing multiple caps right now. We're doing this and we're doing that and we're doing this and doing that. It's like the moment I get revenue into the company and I have some breathing room, it's like, how can I hire and 
how can I, how can I fire and then hire the best? Right. So that's another thing that I'll give them is as you're growing and scaling, it's like, what are all the caps that you're wearing and how can you delegate, automate or eliminate, but bring on an expert. So you no, no longer have to do that task. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, and that's the difference between a business owner and, and a solopreneur, right? An yep. Operator is, is that willingness to turn your business into you know, something that is scalable and then the ultimate level of that is firing yourself so that the business operates on its own yeah. without you. <laughs> yep. Cause, cause oftentimes too, the biggest bottleneck in a company is the CEO's beliefs and their psychology. <laughs> Absolutely. They're in their own way. So you've mentioned focus a few times, right? And so questions determine our focus, what we focus on grows or you know, becomes real how do we focus on the dream? How do we focus on what we do want rather than what we don't want? Yeah, this this is going um, into the V word, the big V word, which is vision, hmm. right? Oftentimes, people don't even know what they want. I'll go in rooms all around the world and say, what do you want? They'll say, I want more money. Here's a dollar, <laughs> right? Or I want to lose weight. All right, go to the bathroom. Drop two pounds. Your job, job's done here, right? They don't even know what they want, Right. So clarity is power. And the reason why clarity is power is because your brain is um, a detective. Your brain is the smartest detective that you have in your life. And your brain is always going to pick up on the things that are going to help you get what you focus on. The truth is most of you are focusing on what you don't want. So you get more of what you don't want. Right. I don't want cheaters. I don't want this. I don't want people stealing my product. And then because your focus is all wrapped on that, you get the same old thing. Right. So clarity is power. So what I would say is when it's talking about vision, I can't show you it, but the board to my left, my whiteboard, I know exactly what body fat percentage I want to be at. I know exactly how many people I want in my programs. I know exactly what, how much money I want. In, in, on my goal, it says this amount of money is going to be in my bank account by February 9, 2023. Are you more specific than me? I get probably not. Right. And because I'm so specific, I know exactly where I'm going. Right. Um, also, Another part of vision is touching the dream. And it's this process of touching the dream. So for example, this is a little hack. I'm going to give you a little hack right now. All you entrepreneurs, I want you to go on Zillow. I want you to type in your zip code. I want you to put in two, three, four, five million dollars, whatever that house is. Find an open house and go walk that house with your family. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noel L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. And say, kids, these, these are what we're working towards, right? Go feel the house, which, by the way, that's free. There's no credit report. There's no nothing. An open house is an open house. Walk in there with certainty and confidence. Yeah, I'm looking about a couple million dollar houses. Go touch the dream, right? It's the same thing with the car. You can put a car up on your whiteboard or you can go sit in it and smell it and feel it and have all your senses wrapped up in it because it's going to pull you closer to the dream, right? But if you don't know what kind of car you want, I can't help you get in the car, <laughs> If you don't know where your business is going to be at, I can't help you get there. So taking the time to map out where do you want to be in Q1, Q2, Q3? What do you want your revenue to look like? What does your team look like? Right? Like 
paint the vision. And, and the analogy too, is like, if I, if say, say Robert, Robert, he's not, and Robert, I'm not saying this is you, right. But say We're Robert, good, say Robert wasn't good at drinking water. Right. And I was like, drink this gallon of water. I handed you a, I handed you a gallon of water. You're like, holy shit. I got to drink this on one day. You'd freak out. But instead I was like, no, 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 Robert, I just needed to drink five of these. You'd be like, oh, I could do that. Why? Because you took something that was big and then you broke it down into small bite-sized pieces. So your brain can say, wow, this is really tangible. So how you do that, for example, is like take your revenue goal for your company. What do I need to do monthly? What do we need to be doing weekly? And how much revenue do we need to bring in daily? And then ask and then build a plan around those revenue goals. So now you know if I don't if we don't hit this revenue goal daily, we're behind on our goal. What do we need to do? Optimize, tweak, optimize, tweak, optimize and tweak. But that 6 million, 10 million, 50 million was big until you said, "Oh, I only need $83,000 a month." Based on my product and service, how many people do I need to serve a day weekly? And then it's like, "Oh, that's way more tangible." Right? So those are some of the things that you can do with helping your vision. And then also there's two forms of motivation. There's your push and there's pull. Most of you have been pushing way too long, pushing towards your goals, pushing towards your weight loss, pushing towards your relationships because you have nothing that pulls you. You have no compelling reason of why you do what you do. For example, I can ask Robert, Robert, why do you want to lose weight? He says, well, I really want to fit in these specific jeans and the specific suit. Okay, that's great. But what's the deeper reasoning? Well, I'm overweight right now and I really don't have a lot of confidence. Well, what happens when you don't have confidence? Do you show up the husband you need to be? Do you show up the dad you need to be? Do you show up the leader you need to be? No. Oh, so you're telling me you don't want to lose weight because you want to fit in that suit. You want to lose weight so you actually love yourself so you can lead your team and your family. Y'all are just working with surface level pain points. It's not enough. Can I share a little story that I, that I picked last week? Um, I sat down with this guy. He goes, Nick, there was a guy walking down the street. And he noticed there was a dog on the porch. And the dog was just crying and crying and crying. And so he walks, he walks past the dog and he goes to work. Eight hours later, he's walking home. It's at night. The dog is still there crying. He's like, why is this dog still crying? So he goes home and he goes to sleep. He wakes up the next morning and he's walking past the same house. And the dog's crying and the owner's out there. And so he goes up to the owner. He goes, bro, your, your dog's been crying all day, all night. Why is he crying? And he goes, well, he's sitting on a nail. He goes, well, why doesn't he get up? He goes, well, I guess it just doesn't hurt that bad. Some of y'all just doesn't hurt that bad. Some of y'all have the goals, you have the ambitions, you have the visions, but if you don't achieve it, you don't care because you're comfortable, you're chilling. It doesn't hurt as bad. You see, setting goals and setting a vision isn't enough. You need leverage. And what I've learned with working with some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the world is they're not, they're not focusing on what if I do take action. They're more focused on what's going to happen if I don't. What is the pain I'm going to feel if I don't lose the weight? I won't be able to walk or run around with my kids without being out of breath. If I don't lose the weight, I may not be able to see my little girl walk down the wedding aisle. Talk about leverage. Most of y'all don't have the leverage. You're comfortable, right? Most of y'all sitting on the nail, but you won't get up because it's, eh, it's, it's not that bad, right? It's the same thing. If I said, Robert, 
tomorrow I'm going to give you a million dollars. Meet me here. But if Robert woke up and he needed an emergency root canal, is he going to see the dentist or the million dollars first? He's going to go to the dentist. He's going to, he's going to deal with the pain before he gets to the pleasure. True or false? Typically. Typically, right? So everybody's good at setting goals, but nobody's good at achieving them. Because they haven't found the pain in the leverage. That's what I would say. That's my long-winded answer for that, Robert. I go on rabbit holes. Thanks for letting me jam out. That's the that's what this is all about, man. So let's talk about connection. And obviously, the power of, of connection, the power of relationships um, is necessary to, you know. Yeah. Let's get into it. Relationships. When I, when I saw Robert in person, we talked about three dimensions of a relationship, so I'll share it here, and it was gold. There's three dimensions to a relationship, and by the way, we're all ascending. We're all, we're, all, we're all becoming more, right? And so the first dimension of a relationship states, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. I bet you, you know someone in your life. By the way, it's not you listening because you're perfect and you have no work to do, but you know someone, <laughs> in, your, you know someone in your life who it's all about me. And the moment my needs aren't being met, I'm leaving. You've done this in relationship with boyfriends or girlfriends. You've done it in business partners, right? Where it's all about me. And the moment my back's not getting scratched, I'm out. Now you have, the, the, you have 2D. You have the second dimension of a relationship. By the way, this is where I thought you were supposed to be at. As an entrepreneur, we hear this term win-wins. Let's build win-win relationships. Now, what second dimension of a relationship states is you scratch your back, I'll scratch mine. I mean, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I meet your needs, you meet mine. That means if I sat down with Robert at the table and we had some marbles, I said, here, Robert, I got five marbles. And if Robert showed me four, I'm out. That's not fair. It's got to be fair. This is tit for tat. This is horse trading. How many times have you done this with your wife or your, your husband, if whoever is listening, right? It's like, well, I'm going to wait for him to bring up Valentine's Day dinner before I give them something. <laughs> Or I'm going to wait for her to do this or him to do that, and then I'll do something for them. That's how you screw up relationships <laughs> because you're tit for tat. A lot of people live there. A lot, a lot of people. Of and that's okay. Which, by the way, if you're, if you're someone who's listening and be like, man, I've done a lot of things wrong. You haven't done anything wrong. You, were just ex you weren't exposed to the information. You only know what you know. And the most dang dangerous information out there is the information you don't know. It's all right. Welcome to Earth School. You just learned something that you weren't exposed to. That's fine. Well, it's right. the same same thing you mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of the limiting beliefs we learned from our parents. And, and that's not to say that our parents did anything wrong. That's to say mm -hmm. that our parents are working at the highest level that they had available to them. And they just they don't know the information. And it's the same if your parents had arguments and were fighting and, and had a bad relationship. They were working with the best tools that they had available to them. Nobody's out there intentionally screwing stuff up. <laughs> Nobody's out there intentionally jacking up their kids. It's yeah. happening because nobody's giving them the information. They're not communicating. Um, I think about generationally, one of the things that bothers me is generational poverty. Mm. And, and the only way that we break those cycles if, is if we start talking about our deals. We start talking yeah. about our money. We start talking about, hey, you know what? I'm paying this much for my mortgage and I paid this many fees. And when those other people go to the bank, they can say, wait a minute. Robert said he's only paying this much interest in this, this fee. How come I'm getting charged double this? And you can question the deal because other people are talking about it, right? Information, knowledge is power. And, and, but 
we were taught not to talk about money. We were taught not to talk about sex. We were taught not to talk about religion. And the truth is we need to be talking about sex and we need to be talking about money. And, and those things matter one neighbor to the next, how much you're paying for your mortgage and how much, you know, interest you're getting at the bank and where you're, where you're using your money. And that's the difference, right? The wealthy are talking about their deals. They're sharing the ideas because they're not afraid. It's not a poverty or scarcity mindset. They know that, you know what, if I got a 2% interest deal and I can put it out there and get 7% back, that's a great deal for me. And if I share that with other people, it's a great deal for them too. And, and it's not like, wait, I got to keep this to myself because nobody else, if anyone else gets involved, you know, I think that, that there's just these ideas that, that you got to keep it a secret and, you, and, and money's, money's the secretive thing. Instead, it's, it's really, you know, we need to change generations. We need to change families. We need to help people see that these are things you need to talk about and it's okay to talk about. In fact, when you start talking about it, you start empowering people mm. and empowered people empower other people. And so yeah. I love talking about it. I love encouraging others to talk about it. And, and it gets people out of that tit for tat, you know, type of relationship where their marriage, they're negotiating. Oh, honey, if I buy you a new purse or if I do the dishes or if I vacuum, can we have sex? <laughs> that's a terrible relationship, man. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's not the way it should be. And I, I love what you said, too, is like we need to talk about it more. And by the way, for those that may be in this frame of like, I got to hold on to my knowledge. If if you're scared to share your best stuff with people, you don't have enough. Mm. And you got to go learn more. Get right. Right. So so we we yeah, always. Right. So like even me, I was at the point where I was like, I don't want to teach my best stuff. Well, like you ain't got enough stuff then. I was like, oh, damn, that's really good. Right. So so go learn more now ascending. Right. So 2D now ascending to 3D. The third dimension of a relationship, which is our favorite where we want to ascend to, is your needs are my needs, right? So like I get on here and I identify Robert's needs. And if I re meets Robert's needs, my needs get met, right? That's like the art of negotiation. If you want to go into a negotiation, identify your client's needs and then serve them. And because you serve them, you'll get it in return, right? And so those are the three dimensions of a relationship. And I firmly believe like you're one piece of knowledge, one piece of information, but one handshake away from doing or changing the trajectory of your business, right? Like you and I are in these rooms specifically for moments like this, for opportunities like this, for deals like this, whatever it may be. Um, and also it's like, I want to build relationships with people who are doing what I'm doing, thinking like me, working like me, have visions like me. I also want relationships with people who are way richer than me, <laughs> way smarter than me, right? Because they're going to help me condense time. Right. And so and I also want relationships. I told myself this. I said, when I have a few million in the bank, I want to have at least 10 millionaires that I can say, what do I do with this money? So I didn't know what to do with the money at the time. Right. All it takes is the text. Right. <laughs> but now relationships wise, if you're always approaching relationships with three dimensions and, and you're trying to serve everybody and meet their needs as well, is like even now it's like I can land anywhere in the country and call someone and be like, yo, I need this. Or I need that. Or let's hop on a jet. Let's go here. Let's go there. Right. And it's because I've built relationships by meeting people's needs. And by the way, I've given so much in my marketplace that when it's time for me to ask for favors, they're coming. They're coming. Right. 
like they're going to they're going to do whatever I need to do because I've deposited so much into their their piggy bank that like we're leveraging the law of reciprocity. If I do so much for Robert, he's going to be compelled to give me something. And even if Robert doesn't give me something, at least I became an exceptional giver. Mm. Most of you give with expecting something in return. I'm just trying to give so I'd be an amazing giver. At least I did my part. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's the transition, right? Right. The, that 1D person is all about me. I'm a get. They're, they're, they're only in a get, get relationships. You know, 2D, they're stepping up to, you know, I get to give, give to get, right? Yeah. And the, but that, that 3D is really, I'm given to give. Mm. And I'm around people that are given to give. Yeah. And, and it changes. And, and like you said, being in that room, being in a room where people are making the kind of money that, that those people are making. And, I, you know, Pam Jordan, I interviewed her. She was in that room with us too. And, and yeah. the first thing she said, the first time she was in that room, she's like, it's impossible that one person is making that kind of money. Like the, the amount of the numbers that they talk about are just off the chart, <laughs> but, but then they're all in the room sharing the information. They're sharing their knowledge. They're sharing their wisdom. They're they're They, they don't, they don't have anything to hide. You know, it's, it's not, it's not secret. It's not this club. It's not a cult. It's, it's a room full of people sharing knowledge and wisdom. They're writing books, you know, Robert Allen was in that room and he's, he's sharing his wisdom. He's sharing his knowledge. You, you know, Dan Fleshman was in that room and he's sharing his wisdom and he's sharing his knowledge. And he's saying, I want you guys all to come along with me and let's do this together. There's this power of collaboration. And, and I think like you said, man, your emotional capital. Um, I just had a conversation with my dad. He's been helping a family and, and they've got teenage daughters and there's just so much anger and sadness. And, and, and I, and I said, they don't have any emotional capital. They, mm. They've never been told that they're loved. They've never had anybody putting deposits in, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't do a lot right as a dad, but I guarantee my kids knew that I loved them and that home was a safe place. And, and when I yelled at him and I took away some of that emotional capital, there was still an awful lot there for my kids to say, wait, even though dad yelled at us, I know he still loves me. Yeah. Right. And then I still apologize because there was no room for me to react that way. And, you know, my goal was always to make home a safe space, but sometimes you freaked out, like you had no idea what's going on. <laughs> so it's uh, that emotional capital is, is, is as powerful as financial capital. Yeah. In fact, I think it's probably more powerful. People just don't realize it. Relationships matter far more than any amount of money. Yeah, I agree. And, and I love what you said about emotional capital, too, because we we think it's the it's the the money that's going to make us fulfilled. Right. And then you get the money. You're like, huh, that's it. Right. And so understanding that you don't want the Lamborghini, you don't want the house, you want to how it's going to make you feel. Mm -hmm. So what if we can train ourselves to feel those emotions on a day to day basis? Also, um, why we get in the right rooms, right, is like this. It's called the law of exposure. What the law of exposure states is like, once I under once I once I see and fathom someone making two hundred and forty million dollars a year, I cannot go back. I can't look at the world the same. True or false? True. Once someone gives me a play to make money, I can't look at the world differently. Once you fly in a private jet, you don't look at flying differently. Like I'm not. By the way, like I don't have a jet yet, right? By the way, I said yet, right? <laughs> but like once you experience something, you've tasted it. It's you can't go back. You start thinking differently. So getting in the rooms or listening to people and building relationships 
Like they're going to expose you to different frames and different ways of thinking and different ways to see and problem solving and serving. And once you get exposed to it, there ain't no going back. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing is that emotional capital, that emotional, uh, you know, I guess they use emotional intelligence, yeah. right? And you mentioned your state earlier, right? We get to control our state. We get to feel those emotions. We get to choose those emotions that we feel. And and there's a lot of power in that, right? Like, you know, every call I get on, I, I say that, man, today's great. Why yeah. is today great? Because I choose for today to be great. I deemed it great. If, if I get to choose joy, why would I choose anything else, right? Yeah. If choosing joy is an option, why would I choose sadness? Or why would I choose, you know, life can happen all that it wants around me and I can still choose joy. I absolutely have that control and, and have that influence. And so, you know, choosing our emotional state gives us the right to, and that's not to say that it's always easy to choose your emotional state, but the impact your emotional state has on all of the other things we've talked about on your relationships, on your decision-making, <laughs> on your thinking um, is so powerful that, that I think, you know, it's important to spend that time in the morning to set your emotional state, to set your routine for the day. I, I agree. Um, and, and like, and like we said, it's like, it's easy to have a great emotional state when business is going well. <laughs> but if you can train yourself to live in a beautiful state when shit's not going your way, that's where the real zest is. And, and, and that's the thing too, is like, if we didn't have down moments, if we didn't have bottlenecks in the business, like we wouldn't have any opportunity to grow and expand and to become more. Right. So like another thing that another thing that um, helps you manage your emotional state is like being conscious of the language and the meaning that you're giving things like humans are meaning makers. We give meanings to everything. Mm. Like you're walking through earth and everything's neutral. You give it the meaning. It's either bad because you said it's bad or it's good because you said it's good. Right now, is that a bottleneck in your business or is that a worthy opponent for you to step up and fight? Right. Like that's the difference. And based on the meaning, you're going to feel a different way. Right. And so if I was like, oh, I have all these problems in my business I have to face today rather than like, oh, I have a few worthy opponents. I got to I got to tackle today. Like, huh, they snuck up on me, but I've been training. Right. Like it's a total different mindset because I gave it a different meaning. So I also want to emphasize that is like be very conscious of the language and the meaning that you're giving things, right? Like, am I anxious or am I excited? You know, is this a problem or is this a worthy opponent, right? These are all the small shifts that you start to train um, to help your emotional state as well. Ah, so powerful. All right. I want to switch things up a bit, Nick. Yeah. What was your favorite date? Date? Yeah. With your girl. Oh, I love food. <laughs> <laughs> I love food. So my favorite date with my girl would be sushi or Italian and then Cold Stone ice cream with a movie afterwards. Um, fat and happy. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite Cold Stone flavor? My favorite Cold Stone is um, an, an Oreo overload with chocolate ice cream. Oh, like I love it. I love chocolate, chocolate on chocolate on chocolate. Nice. So what do you love to do in your free time? Um, what I love to do in my free time is um, I like, it's, it's so funny. I, I like the chill, <laughs> you know, and I say it's funny because working with Tony, Tony's like, what is chill? I don't know how to chill. Right. He's just like on this high level. 
And um, his, he, his, he chills. He chills every morning. What's he talking about? Yeah, yeah, literally, right? Jumps in the cold plunge. Um, but I like to chill. I like to ride my skateboard. I have an electric longboard that, like, after this interview, me and my girl and our dog will just ride our longboards around. Um, I like to travel. Um, and I like to just hang out with really good people. Um, and and that's the thing when you're really passionate about what you're doing and what you're building. It's like you're always talking about work, but work isn't work, you know? So we're always talking about that. I could be in Cancun, Mexico, chilling on a beach and me and my buddy are like, so what if we put the product here and like uh, the offer is this way? You know, like, it's just like, it's what we love to do. It's in us. We practice it every day. So those are the few things that I love to do. And I want to note for you busy entrepreneurs that never take a moment to do anything fun. Your best ideas come from moments of leisure. That's why you get great ideas when you're on the toilet or in the shower because you ain't thinking about business and an idea comes to you because you're not focused on it, right? So I would highly suggest that the entrepreneurs that are listening to this interview right now is you take some sort of time during the day um, where you go walk, you go jog, you go work out, or you go do something that's not connected to business because your brain will get going on amazing ideas. Absolutely. So we mentioned routines earlier. What, what routines do you consider non-negotiables for your day? Yeah, so... Um, this is, this is a, this is a touchy subject and a fine line, right? <laughs> so I have things called non-negotiables, but the thing is, is like, I don't want people to beat themselves up when they don't are, aren't perfect, right? Cause you can't be perfect. Um, so a lot of you, you'll go to the, you'll be like, I'm going to go to the gym six days a week. And then you'll go three and you're like, fuck it. I'm not going to go for another five days. Right. And you just don't do it at all. Right. And it's like, no, get back up on the pony, get back on the horse, like right away. And so some of my non-negotiables for me, um, would be, which I need to get better at is like my 45 minutes of movement, right? Um, listening to some sort of podcast or reading a book. My my gallon of water is a big one, always drinking water. Um, and then prayer, some sort of prayer or meditation. And, you know, um, Tony told me, he said, Nick, he said, most entrepreneurs have a highway to hell and a dirt road to happiness. <laughs> Meaning they make it really easy to feel shitty about themselves and they make it really hard to feel great about themselves. Wow. Right? So my challenge to you is change the rules of your game. What are the very things that if you do these small things, you feel successful? Like I would have all the entrepreneurs on this podcast that are listening, write down a list of all the things that when you're doing these things, you feel successful, you feel fulfilled, and you feel like you're moving the needle forward. Do more of that. I like it. <laughs> it sounds so simple, right? But you mentioned earlier that we don't celebrate. We don't celebrate enough. And so we don't give ourselves enough credit. And so we continue to feel like we're not making enough progress. We're not doing enough because we're not recognizing those things that make us feel successful. We're not recognizing those things that 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 are moving the needle. And so I like that and, list of things that make you feel successful and then do more of that shit. Yeah. And, and that's and that's another thing as well is you said it sounds so simple. And and I had one of my coaches because every coach has a coach. And, and, and one of my coaches sat me down. And he said. She said, uh, Nick, she's like, let's think about your life. Everything's been hard. She's like, it was hard for you to get on a chair. It was hard for you to feed yourself. It was hard for you to dress yourself. It was hard for you to become a bodybuilder. And she said, the moment something's easy for you, you're skeptical about it. <laughs> she said, you have a pattern. Dang, she coaches. Said, you said, you say, she said, your pattern is you think everything needs to be hard. Does money really need to be hard? Making money need to be hard? No. Does serving your clients really need to be hard and complex? No. You're just used to being 
you're just used to things being hard, but I'm knowing something easy, like my relationship, my relationship's so easy that I'm skeptical and I try to nitpick it and find what's wrong with it because it's easy. <laughs> so can it be easy? It can be easy. Yeah. What if it is? It's a great question easy. to ask. Right. <laughs> what if it is easy? I like it. Yeah. So obviously let's talk a little bit about Tony. We got to throw him in here. You've been throwing him in here a little bit. Um, What's it, what's it like to work with Tony to, as a mentor, as a, as a coach? Yeah, it's um, the, the greatest gift um, because I'm able to condense time. That's the number one thing. If everyone wants to note, it's like you want to buy your time back and you want to buy results, right? And so with proximity to Tony, just think this guy spent 45 years condensing other people's knowledge. Now I get to condense the condenser. So I take 45 years of him condensing other people's knowledge. And then I get to condense that in my lifetime because of Tony. People are like, Nick, how are you a phenomenal speaker? You've been only speaking for four years. Well, I, I study someone who's been speaking for 45. Let me tell you who wins. I'm going to win. Right. <laughs> um, and so that's been the greatest gift is, is him condensing time, collapsing time for me. But also um, your identity is directly correlated to who you compare yourself to. Your identity, my identity is directly correlated to whom I compare myself to. Why do I have high standards? Because I fucking compare myself to Tony Robbins. I'm not comparing myself to my high school teacher who taught communications. <laughs> I have higher standards. If you want to elevate your life, elevate your standards, right? So anything that I do, I'm like, how would Tony do it? What level would Tony do it? How would he over deliver, right? And that's why I get great results because I'm comparing to someone who's the GOAT the greatest of all time that's done it. Of course, my stuff is going to be amazing. Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I want to throw it back to, to attitude to uh, one of those shifts that are, that are pretty powerful. How has gratitude served you in, in your life? Yep. Um, gratitude one, right. Is like, remember humans and entrepreneurs, we have this pattern of focusing on what we lack. Now, when you feel gratitude, you're focusing on what you have already. And you can also be grateful for things that haven't even happened yet. So that's pretty amazing as well. But gratitude is the antidote of fear, of anxiety, of stress and anger. It's emotionally impossible for you to feel grateful and sad at the same time. Grateful and angry, grateful and stressed. So if you're in those negative, those bad states, you train yourself to go back to gratitude and find what's right so you can get yourself out of that. So that's why gratitude is so important is because it's, it's, the, it's the secret sauce, right? And as an entrepreneur, there is no really destination that you're going to get to. There's never Robert's not going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm done. Right. He's going to get bored. He's going to want to work on something. Right. So it's important for you to find gratitude within the journey. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the shitty days. Enjoy the Like if you can find grace and gratitude in every single moment, you'll always be the richest person in the room. I, I say it to a lot. It's come up a lot in the podcast. If you're not enjoying the journey, you're on the wrong bus. Change buses. Get out of that bus. Pull the damn cord and stop the bus. <laughs> Get yeah. off. You have a choice. That's the great thing about this, right? This entrepreneur journey is it's a choice. It, and you can choose a different bus. You can choose a different journey. And you get to choose whether it makes you feel good or not. Yeah. Yeah. But some of you like to sit in your shitty diapers. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I get a rash. So I want to change it, right? That's right. So I, I told Robert, I said, I ha uh, most humans have shitty days. I have shitty minutes because I'm aware. 
and I'm going to become more aware. When you see me in six months, I'll be better than I am today. When you see me in a year, I'll be way better than that six months version. And um, if you stop training and you try to do business with someone, with if you try to go against me in business, you're going to lose because I'm always training. <laughs> Unless you collaborate and then we both win. Unless you collaborate and we're both winning. Uh, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Love Love it. All right, man. What's the what's your big dream? Uh, my big dream. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got goosebumps. My big dream is to have my mentees. I don't say students. I have mentees to, to create millionaires. I want to create millionaires. I want to help people create millionaires through their message, um, through their skills, through their communications. I mean, right now I'm in the the process of creating a very high elite speaker mastermind where I help people generate 50 to a quarter million dollars through their communication skills. Right. And it's going to be very high tier. Um, but I want to create millionaires. Um, so that's a, a dream of mine. Um, and I want I'm 25 right now. I, I want kids maybe in five, six years. Um, and I want them to have all the opportunities, um, cultivate an amazing mindset. And I want to retire my parents. I want to retire myself. Um, I want to retire my mentees. Um, but more importantly, I want to give more than I took while I was here. That's what I want to do. I want to make the most of this unicorn body, this vessel I've been given. And um, I want to do big shit with big people. I want to fly jets. I want to do it all. Um, but this is really important that when you're listening is understanding that my version of success doesn't have to be yours. Hmm. It shouldn't right? be. Do not get jaded. Do not get jaded or don't don't let your mentor paint what success is for you. Have you identify what success is for you and you go after that. So that's my big dream is for you to for, for everyone listening here to identify what their message is, how they can monetize it. But more importantly, to paint the vision of what success is for you and go get that shit faster than you thought you could. Oh, Nick. Thank you so much for sharing today. So much wisdom. I got goosebumps a couple of times and definitely excited about, man, watching your journey and just uh, watching you love on people and sharing what you're doing. Thank you, my friend. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Send a love to the audience. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com. In our next episode, Cheryl I live and Robert share how her own journey through pain and recovery inspired her entrepreneurial journey, how she became an accidental entrepreneur and a reluctant ninja. The principles of martial arts revolutionized her mind, and now she teaches the power of movement for training the brain.